professor. Um, he, he was everything. Uh, like there, there, there's nothing to compare. He was it. The biggest inspiration in my whole life. back friends this is wyatt in nashville joined as always by my friend jason brewer hey everybody we're back this is the sail on podcast this is episode 11 we're trucking along moving through the beach boys career our tribute band called sail on played a gig a couple weeks ago down in georgia in a nice little town called dahlonega and we had some podcast listeners come out to the show i wanted to say thanks to garrett hannah mike and jez for all coming out and hanging out and we had some controversial talks about the love you album and smile and that's the good stuff that's what we like to get into so come out to see us play and uh we can get into some interesting discussions uh we got some shows coming up yeah we're going down to florida very soon this week in fact we're going to be in milton florida at the imaging theater on friday february 23rd on the 24th we have a private gig down south florida and then we'll be back up sunday on the 25th to play the illustrious skipper's smokehouse in tampa florida so if you're going to be in either one of those that are open to the public you know come and hang with us it'd be great to you know, catch some good vibes and hang out. That's right. And we want to say thanks to everyone that's been listening to the show. As always, we wouldn't be able to do it without you. We we love having these discussions and we love that, that you guys are following along and joining in. So we're going to listen to some voicemails that we've gotten over the past couple weeks. The first one is from a very special caller, a Mr. John Stebbins. Hey, this is for Wyatt and Jason. This is John Stebbins. And, you know, I just listened to the, uh, the podcast that you guys did, um, focusing on David Marks. And, you know, I got, just had to call and say I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was a lot of fun listening to it in that context, you know, the story. I think you guys did a great job. And, um, you know, you showed a lot of heart and, uh, the flow was great. And thanks for the compliments about the book. I'm glad you you guys like it. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to say about Dave that, um, you know, I've had access to a lot of these people, notable, you know, people in the Beach Boys world. And some of them, you know, you maintain relationships with, some you don't. But David is just a really special guy. And, um you kind of reflected that in your podcast, but, you know, he's somebody that I um, have maintained a close relationship with. You know, it feels like family to me in a way. He and his wife, Carrie, and, you know, real close to myself and my wife, 
Nadia and our kids and you know they come and stay with us and hang out and it's just it's it's a cool relationship that doesn't have a lot to do with the Beach Boys but of course you know I geek out sitting next to him playing guitars and suddenly it's like having Carl Wilson and David Mark sitting next to me because he has this special ability to play both of their uh, styles and uh, makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up sometimes which I'm sure you guys could relate to when he'll just like break into something, you know, Carl's part, his part. And it's like the record is sitting with me. But, um, I just wanted to, you know, let you guys know that, uh, you know, just personally, David is, is one of the most special people out there in the Beach Boys world, in my opinion. And so, uh, it was fun. Thanks for the podcast. Um, wanted to give you guys kudos and I'm glad you're doing it and I'm glad you did that and um, I'll be listening in the future. Thanks. Wow, John. Great to hear from you again. As we mentioned before, we're a big fan of your books and your writing and we were really glad to really dive into the David Marks stuff um, and your David Marks book. You know, there's a lot of great things to touch on in that email, but the thing I just wanted to hone in on is about how you were just talking about how great it is to when you're hanging out with David and if he's playing guitar and he plays some Beach Boy stuff and he kind of can play both parts and you kind of get that sense that, you know, you're right there with the music and it just kind of comes to life. And I know that's got to be a great experience. And we're just really glad that you brought to life that great book that we were able to check out and and to use as a point of reference and help us just further our, you know, our fandom of the Beach Boys and David Marks in particular. So really appreciate you writing in. Yeah, super cool. Thanks, John. Uh, we really enjoy your books, as Jason said. And I don't know how we would have done that last episode of, without all the hard work that you put into your David Marks book. So everybody check out um, David Marks, The Lost Beach Boy, and Dennis Wilson, The Real Beach Boy. Uh, if you can get your hands on them, they are very hard to find, but uh, both wonderful books. And when we get to talking more about Dennis, we will definitely cover that book as well. So thanks, John. It means a lot to hear from you. Um, really appreciate it. Up next, we have a voicemail from Savannah. Hey, guys. Um, just wanted to say I love the podcast. Uh, I'm a kind of young uh Beach Boys fan, I guess, uh, compared to the other people that you've mentioned on the podcast. Um, I didn't start listening to the Beach Boys until like about a year ago. Uh, my boyfriend wanted to watch Love and Mercy, and I honestly just let him turn it on because <laughs> I like never listened to the Beach Boys besides like when my mom played them when I was little. Uh, didn't really pay attention that much. Um, but slowly during watching the movie i was like wow this is crazy this is amazing i never knew how good they were i didn't know the history i just felt like my mind was just totally blown so obsessively listened to pet sounds immediately after went into smile sessions um then went through everything and pretty much listened to the beach boys like every day now and was so stoked to see that you guys had a podcast because like Honestly, the Beach Boys are my life now. <laughs> and so, yeah, I just wanted to say, like, thank you so much for making this podcast. Um, yeah, uh, I'm really excited to hear um, an episode about friends, especially. I think that's honestly um, ignoring the smile sessions. 
um, since it didn't technically, you know, come out. Um, I think it's their best post Pet Sounds album, and it'll be cool to hear what you guys have to say on it. So, yeah, thanks. Savannah, thank you so much for the voicemail. Pretty exciting that you got into the Beach Boys through the Love and Mercy movie. Great movie. If you guys hadn't checked that out, make sure you do. Some great in-studio scenes, especially. I love those. Um, but yeah, I mean, starting with Pet Sounds and then kind of diving into all the other stuff and getting into Friends and Smile and things like that. I mean, I remember hearing all those things for the first time when I was in my late teens and it just knocked me out the smile sessions and friends and stuff like that so that's pretty awesome I love, we love hearing from new fans i think that's just a great perspective that probably a lot of us old school beach boys fans are, are not accustomed to and can't remember back that far so um love the enthusiasm and yes we'll definitely get to friends at some point and that's one of my all-time favorites. So, awesome. Thanks for the voicemail. Yeah, thank you so much, Savannah. It's awesome to hear. I was actually watching Love and Mercy today while I was doing some laundry. And uh, it's just one of those movies that has some special moments in it that always uh, gets me pumped. And I love it. And I, I understand how it, how it could get a new listener excited because it's it's a really good representation of... Uh, especially the Pet Sounds era of, of Brian Wilson. So I'm I'm pumped for you, and I'm excited to have you on board, and hopefully we will make it to the Friends episode because we do obviously love that record too. It's one of our favorites. So, yeah, can't wait. It's going to be fun. All right, one more voicemail this week. This one is from Roger Worthington. Hey, guys. Um <clears throat> I, I just I just really appreciate this podcast. How you really get, how you really diving into the parts that I didn't really know about. Because I mean I've been a diehard Beach Boys fan for some years now, but I really never um, got into the deep stuff. I just kind of listened to the music. I mean, uh, I I mean hopefully hopefully I wanted to, someday I wanted to, to to learn more of this deep stuff that you go into, and um, you you open the door for me. Like you open more of this stuff and all these um, bootlegs you've been you've been. T- You've been mentioning in your episodes. I hope to um, purchase someday. Like, try to find some bootlegs on Amazon or something like you've been talking about. Because, like, I really want to hear these. Like, these were never actually, like, given to the public. So, I I didn't I didn't know they were a thing until you guys started talking about it. So, I just just want to say I really appreciate the podcast. It's really good. I love you guys. Um, you guys have really, really taught me a lot. And I, uh, I've been over the Beach Boys for a long time. And I... <laughs> I think I'll love them for. I think I'll really love them forever. So I, I really hope you guys can do this podcast as long as possible. Even, even when you get done with all their albums, um, I really hope you find something to. Talk. I mean, I, feel, I really feel like you guys say, "Oh, we'll come to a point where we'll get to an end," but I feel like the Beach Boys, there is no end. Like, there's always something to talk about. There's, there's always something you can talk about. Even it's like five minutes or an hour, it's, it doesn't. It's, the Beach Boys never ends. They live on forever. They're the greatest band in history to me at least. So, I uh, love you guys and looking forward to the podcast that are coming. All right, catch you later. Bye. Hey, Roger. Great. Thank you for the voicemail. It's really exciting to hear that our podcast is one of the things getting you more excited and going deeper into the world of the Beach Boys music. And honestly, I think, I mean, that's one of the main reasons we're doing this, not only because we love talking about it and things of that nature, but 
it's great to inspire other people to get way down in the trenches of the Beach Boys world like we do. So, awesome. Thank you for the voicemail. Thank you very much, Roger. We look forward to hearing from you again, hopefully. Okay, so that leads us to this week's episode and the topic of discussion. So we left off last episode with the Little Deuce Coop album. And uh, soon after that, Brian uh, was driving in his car and listening to the radio when he heard the disc jockey Wink Martindale introduce a brand new record by a group called the Ronettes, and it was Be My Baby. And as he was listening to it, the verses didn't really touch him that much, but he was, you know, interested. And then when the chorus kicked in, awesome, he screeched to the side of the road and had to listen intently. And the song just kind of put him in a trance, and it basically changed his life forever. instantly hooked and couldn't stop listening to it and kind of still can't stop listening to it really out of any piece of music ever it was this song that influenced him the most and uh, you can see it pretty much right away this song was a huge hit and inspired Brian to write the song Don't Worry Baby which was a huge hit in its own right and also was a direct response to Be My Baby. Yeah, definitely Be My Baby certainly influenced Brian probably more than any other song, like you were saying. And you brought up Don't Worry Baby, and I actually recently saw uh, Ronnie Spector and her band perform, and she definitely did her version of Don't Worry Baby at the show and told the story about how, you know, Brian brought the song to her and the Ronettes, and, you know, she kind of skipped over over the fact that they didn't, in fact, record it during their heyday that she recorded it much later but at any rate um, she definitely brought that up and had pictures of her and Brian on the screen together and stuff so it was pretty awesome kind of full circle moment yeah totally um, I know that Brian's pretty well documented as being obsessed with this particular song uh, but he obviously was inspired by a lot of Phil's production work and um, he would go over to uh, Gold Star and sometimes get to watch Phil in the studio producing. And he went over there and got to be part of the recording sessions for Phil Spector's Christmas album in October of 1963, soon after he had heard Be My Baby. And he really just wanted to pick apart Phil's brain and figure out how he was making these records. And 
you know, Phil didn't really think a whole lot of Brian. He thought, you know, he was making silly surf music and, you know, Phil was kind of an ego. He did allow Brian to play piano on one of the tracks for the Christmas album, which was Santa Claus is Coming to Town. And apparently Brian just couldn't do it. And Brian himself admitted that he just wasn't able to play it as well as he wanted to. And Phil kicked him out of the session. And that was pretty much the end of that. <laughs> oh, bummer. <laughs> Um, one thing that he did pick up from Phil early on was his use of the musicians that would be known as the Wrecking Crew. So this group of musicians, including you know well-known members like Hal Blaine and and Carol Kay, would go on to play on many of the Beach Boys records, and obviously they played on Pet Sounds in a big way. And uh, I think that was a huge part of changing the Beach Boys sound and maturing their sound when they started using the Wrecking Crew instead of them playing all their tracks in the studio themselves. So it really opened up the sound and gave them a more mature and, you know, advanced sound. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can really hear a big shift in their sound once the Wrecking Crew come in, obviously, because we've talked about it on some of the other episodes with the playing and the and the groove and the feel and the sound. But... When Brian starts really not only having Wrecking Crew, but having the Phil Spector sound weaving into the Beach Boys, it, it, I mean, so many of their heyday big records were based around his, you know, his chasing Phil Spector in his mind, which, you know, I think you and I both probably feel he surpassed Spectre, but in his mind, for sure, he felt like he was always chasing that, so being just a huge influence, um, you know, right down to the, you saw more of a use of Echo coming through those records, probably starting with like things like I Do and, you know, somewhere in 63 there. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, in in January of 63, Brian recorded the song I Do that we've talked about before that was released by a group called the Castells and it sounds so much like a Phil Spector record I mean Brian has has, you know made tons of records that have those influences but I think I Do is one of the most recognizable Phil Spector sounds that Brian ever put out and all the doubling of all the instruments and stuff. It's just its just rad. Really enjoyed that song and that arrangement. Oh yeah, love it. Um, there are a lot of other direct influences that Phil had on Brian. Um, little things like, you know, some of the moving bass lines and some of the more interesting uh, melodic parts in the bass that Brian would go on to be known for. I think Phil was doing that early on as well and kind of writing songs with the bass in mind. Um, which I think was one of the things that Brian loved so much about about Phil's arrangements and you know Phil's right hand man 
what's his name jack nietzsche yeah the arranger yeah also if you listen to a track like the ronettes do i love you you can definitely hear what would become heroes and villains in the oh groove. yeah that groove for sure yeah i mean it's pretty obvious um brian actually wanted to write a song for the ronettes uh called don't hurt my little sister which many of you know from the today album he wrote it in 64 and gave it to phil to use for the ronettes and phil actually produced the track and changed it all around changed the lyrics and changed some of the chords and it was actually called things are changing and it didn't come out until later under a band name called the blossoms i think the song was you know pretty much ruined like in my opinion Mm -hmm. yeah reasoning behind that collaboration probably was like a whole bunch of different reasons i feel like they probably were competitive with each other well phil was probably threatened i'm gonna go there Um, yeah he definitely was and then but i also felt like he disguised that with not just i don't take that surf kid seriously i mean i think the other thing was i think brian was just afraid of him right to be honest like it just it was like the ultimate to him you know and he said it in a million interviews that he was just kind of the ultimate his ultimate idol musically so um yeah you know and i've heard a lot of there's a lot of stories and i think we'll talk about one later where he you know had a lot of different you know paths crossing and just never kind of got it right because it would have been pretty interesting to have them even if it was just Phil doing one of Brian's songs and, and not changing it up a bunch, but just doing a Ronettes Beach Boys cover would be pretty crazy great. Well, um, Brian would do several of Phil's productions as covers with the Beach Boys, you know, including uh, the Crystal song, Then He Kissed Me, where they changed it to Then I Kissed Her Love for the that Today version. album. And uh, it's really awesome, and they definitely... Uh, did it justice in my opinion and uh, on the Beach Boys party Brian does There's No Other Like My Baby by The Crystals as well yeah great I think by the time we get to Pet Sounds Brian does surpass Phil as a producer and it's really just you know to me he took what Phil was doing and then just kind of flipped it around where Phil was taking all these instruments and and combining them to make you know this huge sound that was almost indistinguishable what was playing what and what instrument you know was doubling which instrument and it was very very just huge and and kind of um, amorphous I think Brian took that to the next level where he was doubling instruments but the clarity was so much better that it was 
in a way like the next level where he was making these new instruments out of existing instruments in the studio and it somehow made it even more clear and it somehow made it even more you know emotionally driving well you know that makes sense oh yeah one of the quotes that i really liked from one of the documentaries is when terry melcher is talking about the difference between phil Spector and brian wilson um similar to what you were saying where you know melcher just says you know uh, phil was an eccentric crazy dude who had a lot of anger in his sound but brian was a much gentler soul and and took the you know stylistic things from phil but put it into his own thing that was much more beautiful and more diverse and like you're saying you know brian was painting with a lot of different colors where phil might not have been painting with nearly as much i mean i'm a huge fan of both obviously and you know listening back to that phil stuff and realizing how influential it is to some of my musical education you know hearing all the really creative tempo changes and arrangements and different things he did with kind of simplistic chord progressions but got creative with it just like brian i mean that's where they had their similarities but i think brian's stuff always you know hit the heartstrings a little better than any of the phil stuff sure um you know phil was more of a producer and more of a studio guy than a writer and arranger um, and brian did it all so to me there was no contest oh yeah but sure I mean, Phil took, I mean, he took some ideas that other people were kind of doing um, and really just took them to an extreme level and was making records that were just, that just sounded amazing on AM radio in mono. And that was like his medium. And he didn't like making albums. He said that albums were just, you know, two good songs and a bunch of crap. And, uh, you know, I think that was where Brian also took it to the next level by making Pet Sounds as a complete album of just all great stuff, you know, inspired, obviously, by the Beatles' Rubber Soul. He went on to work with a bunch of great artists. I think everybody knows he worked with the Beatles on Let It Be, George Harrison, John Lennon on their own solo records as well. Um, I think Jason brought up something that was really interesting. Um that Harry Nielsen actually wrote a song as a tribute to Brian Wilson and brought it to Spectre. Yeah. And uh, the song actually was recorded and then never came out. Yeah, the only time that it's called This Could Be The Night, and it's uh, one of my all-time favorite records by anybody. I love that record. If you, if you listen to it, it's got really cool, like, Mike Love slash Brian Wilson type of inflection in the lead vocal. It's got this crazy cool like slide guitar going on all throughout the whole thing and that and that really makes it really wild and cool and it's got you know creative percussion it sounds like Phil Spector producing a Beach Boys tune you know because it's a lot cloudier not as clear as like we were talking about but still I mean the first time I heard it I was like oh this is Phil doing the Beach Boys this is great. Um, I remember thinking that, but yeah, totally. Nielsen wrote the tune, um, brought it to Spectre, they cut it, and they used it. They did it up using a piece of it on the second uh, big TNT 
teen rock movie. They made they made the first one, The Tammy Show, which the Beach Boys were on. Then they made a sequel. So they used a little bit of the song in the intro for that. But that was the only time it saw light. And the group that recorded it, the Modern Folk Quartet, got really kind of ticked off about that. They were really thinking, oh, this is going to be a good single. And I think it would have been. I think it would have been a top 40 at least. So the timing was perfect because it was going to be out around the time when the Beach Boys were really hot and had that Phil Spector sound and the Beach Boys sound, the teen sound, kind of all put together. So it's a great record. It was on a compilation of Phil Spector rarities. Can't remember the volume number of that, but it also was on David Cassidy's album that Bruce Johnston of the Beach Boys produced. And Bruce handpicked all the tunes on that record. And interestingly enough, this could be the night. Phil Spector, Harry Nilsson, Beach Boys tribute song produced by a Beach Boy for a teen pop guy. And also on that album, there's a cover of Beach Boys Darling too. So. Pretty cool Beach Boys connections with This Could Be the Night, for sure. And Brian actually went on to record it himself in 1995 for a Harry Nielsen tribute album. That's right. So I thought that was pretty cool. Full Um, circle. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. Um, But obviously Brian uh, really enjoyed the song, and I think it it was really special to him. So I'm glad that he got a chance to do it, and in in a really... Cool way too. I think the most interesting thing about this whole little debacle with this song is the reason why it was shelved and just put tacked onto that movie was because Spectre was heavy into River Deep Mountain High. Basically, he was just like, okay, well, I'm going to turn all my attention to this River Deep Mountain High and my label because he owned the label that the this could be the night. Oh and yeah, River and River Deep Mountain High were both on his label. And so he basically took all the money he was going to use on, you know, this could be the night, and just put it all into the, you know, promotion of uh, River Deep Mountain High that, for all intent and purposes, was basically a flop. Um, It was like the thing he was building his magnum opus on that one song. He was trying to have his good vibrations moment, and uh, it failed. And I think this could be the night might have done better in the charts, just to be honest with you. So quite interesting there. You know, speaking of good vibrations, it's funny. Um, I recently saw an interview with Phil and somebody asked him about Brian Wilson and he said that he doesn't think that Brian Wilson is that great of a producer or songwriter. He says that, you know, good vibrations is nothing but an edit record. That it was not a great song because it wasn't just played in the studio and Phil was really big on playing everything live and no overdubs and all that so um, you know I mean take that for what for what you will I mean I think Phil was obviously um, pretty threatened by Brian as Brian was threatened by Phil Um, and you know I think uh, Brian was more haunted by Phil than threatened in a lot of ways 
as he said that you know for years and years he heard Phil's voice in his head you know telling him that he'll never be good enough and that he'll never be able to make records like him and uh, it was one of the one of the factors that made him so paranoid in the early 70s said that that Phil Spector had his house bugged <laughs> yeah and you know, so, so that he era, had a camera yeah. in his shower and that's why he didn't want to take showers anymore yeah I mean that's all pretty wild i feel like maybe some of that was played up for press purpose but i'm probably right pretty sure that he might have believed it to for a little bit and probably you know as we've talked about seems like brian will get into these riffs you know how comedian old school comedians would say they get into a riff right you know it could just been his riff but hey maybe so you never know yeah i've heard that brian hears three people sometimes four in his head and it's usually his dad and um phil specter and danny hutton <laughs> i love <laughs> that three dog night <laughs> i love that um yeah it's so weird um who knows i mean i guess brian knows god only knows right <laughs> um but yeah so what's danny hutton saying he's like hey brian you know should we should we record mama Eat told me not to come. <laughs> i don't know yeah who knows Let's do Darlin' again, Brian. Yeah, exactly. I got that great idea for a song, Brian. <laughs> Surfing Earth. God. You had to find a way to work Surfing Earth in. I did. Uh, maybe we can uh, get Danny Hutton on Surfing Earth, guest artist. One Dog Night. Let's do it. Yeah, One Dog Night. All right. So, um, I thought another interesting fact I, that I read was that... Um, People for for many years were saying that Pet Sounds was a homage to Phil Spector with the PS initials. And in Brian's recent autobiography, he actually says that that's partially true, which I thought was interesting. It might have been something that somebody had told him later and he got a kick out of it and decided that that you know, could be part of the lore. But I could see, um, I could see Mike Love saying, you know, Oh, these, you know, we got dogs barking here. This is Brian's, you know, this one's Brian's baby. You know, this is his pet sounds, Phil Spector. I feel like, you know, uh, Mike Love is a student of the Chuck Berry alliteration school of music. So you never know. So fast forward to the 15 Big Ones album. And Brian said he was... Uh, going for a Phil Spector style album here as well as they did a couple of covers Chapel of Love and one of my favorites Just Once in My Life oh man one of my all time favorites Brian's version Carol King's version The Righteous Brothers any version that song is amazing I really love the version on 15 Big Ones with Carl singing and um, that Moog bass line it's just like oh, yeah. it has such a great groove to it and it has such a haunting quality to it as well i just i love that song yeah i love all the versions carol king's version is great um it's just a great tune and one of my favorites on that record and one of my favorite phil specter productions too the righteous brothers version sounds oh, amazing man. just the the vocals on uh, and any version of that because it's such a great vocal line i mean hats off to carol king uh, and Jerry Goffin on that one, man. What a killer tune. I couldn't face the day 
If you weren't here by my side And if you went away I'd be left without any pride It's just one little dream I've got to make come true There's just one round I've got to win Obviously, we're talking Spectre here. We're, getting, we're talking about 15 big ones. Obviously, we know Spectre worked with the Beatles and John Lennon and George Harrison and all those things that he did with them. Definitely blend the you know the Beatles trademark sounds with his uh, wall of sound. Um, those are all great things to pick up if you're wanting to get into more Spectre classic rock. Um, but one thing that I kind of was throwing out there when we were researching all this stuff is that um, Dion, you know, 50s and early 60s doo-wop guy that definitely was a big influence on Brian. We talked about Dion earlier. Um, you know how Brian kind of had us has a little bit of a Dion homage vocal style on some of those early tunes. Um, but Dion actually did a record with Spectre. Uh, most of the record was done with Spectre, including this one really cool song called... Um, only you know which was written by jerry goffin and phil specter uh, so if you want to go into some really interesting uh phil specter stuff that you might not know as much check out the 1975 album born to be with you by dion released on phil specter records I didn't know about that tune and I love it. I thought that was awesome. Um, it has one of those meandering bass lines that I love that Phil seems to come back to over and over again. Oh yeah. Um, and it's a great song. I just really dig it. Um, I wanted to say one of the records that I always loved is the Ramones album End of the Century, which was the last album that Phil ever produced. And um, the Ramones have some interesting stories about that record, and um, 
I'm sure you can all find that stuff if you really are interested but um, I think the record's really good and it's got amazing sounds on it and for a band like the Ramones to do this record with Phil Spector at kind of the peak of their success it was really really interesting and really risky it's really different and not all of them were really on board with it they did an awesome cover of Baby I Love You the Ronettes song and uh, Johnny Ramone was very against it um, but it was a <laughs> single for them and Johnny was like I didn't even play on this like what am I going to do play along with an orchestra like there's no <laughs> there's no Ramones playing on this song and there's like a great TV performance of them like on some stage lip syncing it and it's like an orchestra and they're just like sitting there like playing guitars and drums and it's hilarious like it makes no sense but it's great great and I love that I mean it's obviously Joey and Dee Dee's idea because they're the big you know 60s pop radio AM radio fans and I know they were probably thrilled to work with Phil and uh, I think it's a really cool record you guys should check it out I'm I'm a big Ramones fan and it's a really cool part of history for them and in Phil Spector's history Speaking of scandals, we're not really going to get too into the Phil Spector post-production story. I think, you know, everybody knows that story and knows enough that any, anybody can seek out that information or watch the many documentaries or Pacino you know, biopics and all that stuff. And that's not something that we're really super interested in talking about because it has tunes, nothing man. to do with the Beach Boys. But, um, you know, if you're into that, go check it out think what you will i just like to separate the man from the music in this case oh yeah and he left behind well he's not dead but let's just say he's done making music he left behind a ton of great productions and great songs and um, we've just talked about a few things that we really enjoy and that have some ties to our beach boys family but man he he had tons of great singles in the 60s and produced some great albums as well into the 70s so definitely take some time check it out there's some great compilations out there that are worth checking oh, man. out the all, my all-time favorite and you can disregard all the rest of the compilations you just need to seek out the box set called back to mono it's out of print now but you can find it pretty easily um find the cds or find the digital version somewhere but that's the one to have it's his heyday singles all the phillies record stuff and some of the early stuff a gene pitney song every little breath i take which actually super influential for me one of my favorite cuts but um i mean that's what made me one of the things made me want to start making records so i love it um you know, I did want to mention one other little Beach Boy connection to that Ramones record. Fu yeah. Future collaborator with Brian Andy Paley worked on that record. So 
pretty that's awesome. right yeah yeah i didn't know that either until you told me yeah pretty awesome so that's really cool so yeah if you guys have any more exciting phil specter tunes that you really like and you really think that we should check out let us know send us an email uh, our email is saleonpodcast at gmail.com, or you can call us, leave us a voicemail. I want to just say that the voicemail does cut off after three minutes. I think some people have found that out the hard way. So if you're leaving the voicemail, be careful about how much time you spend. If I could make it longer, I will, but I don't really know how to do that. But um, <laughs> our number is 615-606-3887. And uh, we'd love to hear from you about anything. Um, we'd love to see you guys out there on the road as we play some gigs. Um, you know, we do have a Beach Boys tribute and we are doing tons of gigs this year. And, um, you know, I think if nothing else, it's a great way to kind of get out there and meet Beach Boys fans of all ages, um, of all eras and to kind of share our story and hear new stories and, um, kind of come together because it's super fun to meet people like that. You know, being a fan of the Beach Boys is um, a unique experience, as many of you guys know, and there's so much to dive into, and there's so many outlets to, you know, get information from. So we want to be one of many, and we want to be something that, you know, we can kind of grow with you if you're a new fan or an old. So come on out to our shows. We're, we're going to be in Florida next week, as Jason said, and then we're going to be heading up the East Coast this spring. And we're hopefully going to be hitting all over the U.S. Um, this year and next year. And we'd love to meet each and every one of you. And for us, there's no bigger reward. Um, and we really love the music, obviously, but we love the fans. We love meeting other people and it's been one of the coolest things that i've ever experienced to be honest like getting to meet people that listen to this podcast these conversations that jason and i have that we've always had since we've met each other and that you know can chime in just like we've known each other forever so it's awesome um so really appreciate you guys the next episode that we're doing is going to be on Shutdown Volume 2. We'll talk to you very soon. And as always, music by Will C. You can find him at www.willcmusic.com. And we'll see you soon. Sail on, sailors. <laughs>